Those folk who have been reading through Live in Liberty, right, well you will know much of what we're talking about today. Those of you who haven't, you don't know what you're missing out on. Uh, I can just encourage you that what you've been doing as you've gone through this book is very, very significant. There are just some discussions in very early stages at the moment about whether we might encourage churches across Australia to adopt a similar approach next year for the 500th anniversary and focus on Galatians as their key book. But we come to this part of the passage where Paul is speaking about bearing one another's burdens but also seemingly paradoxically carrying your own load and the importance of sowing to the spirit and not growing weary of well-doing because in due course there will be a harvest. And it's very uh, wonderful under the providence of God when you see the other scripture readings tie in so well with this. I'll explain why. One of the characteristic descriptions of human sin, human wickedness, human evil, that Martin Luther brought to us, he actually inherited it from Augustine many centuries before him, was this little phrase in Latin, curvatus et se. Can you say that? Incurvatus et se. Now, how many of you know Latin? Etc. Well, etc. There's one Latin word. Now, I know only half a dozen phrases in Latin, But this one, incurvatus et se, can you say it again? That was one of the characteristic descriptions that Luther used. And it means what? Who can describe what incurvatus et se means? I'm going to pick Adam because I know he knows. Loud voice, Adam. Turned in on oneself. Turned in on oneself. Curled in on oneself. Like a hedgehog curled in on oneself, prickly face to the world. Now that description of human sin manifests itself in all sorts of ways. In the reading from Jeremiah, the Lord saying, What wrong have you found in me? I, the Lord, he says, have done all these good things for you and you have turned away, you have curled in upon yourself, you have turned away from the fountain of living waters and you've turned your back and not your face and you're trying to bring up a bit of smelly old rotten water from a hole that you've dug, you've curled in upon yourself. And then, of course, the reading from Luke chapter 14 about the wedding or about the banquet and the person who is curled in upon himself even though he's in the public eye. He's so curled in upon himself that he wants everyone else's approval to validate him. So he goes into the very front part and sits in the highest seat where he gets the most honour but all because he's curled in upon himself and he doesn't bear anyone else's burdens because he's only concerned about 
himself. And of course, you heard the Gospel reading today that this man is a very foolish man and rather, he says, take the lowest seat. Now, how does all of this relate to what was happening in the Galatian church? Now, just by the way, do you know the average, or those people who are here over the weekend of the teaching weekend will know, so you're not allowed to answer, the average size of the church throughout all history, across all cultures and the average size of the church today of any one congregation. Do you know what that is? Between 40 and 60 people. You've got a bit more than that here so you're a bit above average. Now when the Galatian Christians or the Galatians heard the Gospel, each part of that group of people who heard that gospel was turned. They'd started curled in upon themselves. The Jews were just curled in upon themselves, only wanting to be Jews and putting a spiky back to the rest. And the idolatrous Gentiles were curled in upon themselves, hugging their idol to themselves and they had a very spiky back towards all of the others. And then the slave owners were curled in upon themselves and they were only interested in their own things and using the slaves and that divided them off from the slaves who had to be curled in upon themselves. And so the slave and the free and the Jew and the Gentile and the male and the female, the categories that Paul speaks about in Galatians, each had come to the Gospel curled in upon him or herself as individuals and groups. And then as the Gospel came and they experienced forgiveness and their hearts were opened up, their lives were transformed, they opened up and they turned to face one another and suddenly they realised in this other person to whom they had had their back turned, curled in upon themselves, this is actually another human being and this human being is in Jesus and I am in Jesus and it makes no difference whether this person is a slave or a slave owner or a male or a female or a Jew or a Gentile or what colour skin that person has or what background they've come from or whether they're rich or whether they're poor. We now are one in Christ Jesus. And as that revelation dawned upon them, a wonderful thing happened they actually started enjoying one another's company. You wouldn't want to come to church to enjoy one another's company, for goodness sake. Come here and do your duty and go home again. Look, what we do here in this sort of setting of church, this is relatively new in the history of the church and still in many places, church like this just doesn't look anything like what we do. Because finally it's all about relationships. It's all about the way in which that body of 40 or 50 or 60 or however many people actually relates to one another face to face. And this incredible thing had happened. As the Gospel had come and the barriers were broken down, so a slave owner turned to a slave and started bearing the burdens 
of a slave when all his life he thought that man is there to carry my baggage. That's what he's born to. That's what he'll do and he won't do anything else. And I'll keep him in that position. And so while he had his back turned, there was no fellowship, there was no engagement, there was no relationship, there was no love. As soon as the Gospel came, all of that opened up and changed. And so nothing that Paul describes here had ever been seen in the world before. There is no organism, no institution, no group, no society in the ancient world or the modern world. None that did anything like what Paul's describing in Galatians. Not anywhere. Now grace has many descriptions. Sometimes we talk about grace as God's unmerited favour and all of those things are good but I just want to describe it in a slightly different way today, not because the other things are wrong, but just because we can get so used to them we don't hear them. Grace is a space of hospitality. Grace is a feast of hospitality. Grace is a banquet of hospitality. Because what actually happened was that for their first time ever the Jews sat with the non-Jews and had a banquet at the same table. And the slaves weren't relegated to the back shed while the slave owners ate. They all sat at the same table, not figuratively at the Lord's table as we do, but actually, physically, enjoying one another's company. Where did they get this idea? You remember that Jesus spoke a lot about banquets, didn't he? And you remember that Jesus on one occasion, on the night that he was betrayed, in the Passover meal, he hosted a banquet. Hands up if you know the old Lutheran grace that my dad used to say at the kitchen table sometimes, come Lord Jesus, be our, let this, look you're good Lutherans. I don't know that I could ever make it up on the spot but we probably need to change the word a little bit because actually Jesus is the host of the banquet. We should say, Oh Lord Jesus, you're our host. Bless us with the food the most or something. I don't know. He's the host. He gives instructions to Peter and the others to prepare the room for the Passover. He's the one who is actually taking the lead at the feast where he's saying now's the time for this cup, now it's the time for that cup. And then what does he do? He gets up from the table, he takes off his outer garments and he wraps a towel around his waist and he goes to one and to the other 
and to the other and he washes their feet. And what was the response? What was the response? It was just shocking, wasn't it? Because he's actually taken the position of a slave. The slaves in the ancient world were property. They were owned. They had no ability to choose. They were just owned property who were commanded. And so the slaves existed to give other people space to do stuff. You had slaves, they did the menial work. That meant you could go to the ecclesia, the church, the assembly where the business of the district was conducted. You had slaves, they did the work so you could accept an invitation to Senator so-and-so's house for dinner. You had slaves, they did the work so that the estate would be profitable so that you could go and visit Naples or that you could go to the games at Rome. Jesus takes that position not figuratively but actually taking the form of a slave Paul says, so that we can be free to have an open, hospitable space with one another. So Paul here is reflecting back to the Galatians what's actually happened to them. As they've heard the Gospel, Jesus Christ has served them as a slave and he has washed them souls, their bodies, he has brought them all of the riches of his own presence so that they could enjoy this large, hospitable, beautiful banquet. And so he says, when you bear one another's burdens so that you fulfil the law of Christ. That's the way he is, so that's what you do. And of course the background, which you'll understand having listened to Romans being preached or uh, Galatians being preached through this year is this, that that's the way they started and then certain people came in with the so-called gospel and that so-called gospel made everyone curl in upon themselves again. It was not the gospel of the free grace of God, it was the gospel of the law and it told people what they had to do and how, how how they had to do it and how high they had to jump And the mark of that gospel is that it always picks out what's wrong. It always tells you where you've failed, how much you've failed and why you've failed, but it never actually bears the burden of fixing anything. It sits on the outskirts, throws rocks through the window and then complains that the windows are all smashed. When that gospel gets a hold of a congregation the face-to-face hospitality disappears and instead you get back turning, you get prickles, you get thorns. Paul says to them, what happened to all of your joy? What happened to all of your joy? You had this fantastic experience of God's grace and now look at you. What's happened? So he's 
preached the gospel back to them again through Galatians and he's revived them and refreshed them and he says, now here you are back in this space, so what are you going to do? Well, do what you've always done. Bear one another's burdens so you as a slave owner can actually get down on your knees and serve a slave because you are no greater than he and in many senses he is far greater than you. If any man who is nothing thinks he's something. Many years ago there was a very famous evangelist who had a number of students and this evangelist had a student come to him one day and say, oh sir, I won't name him, he said, sir, please, please, just pray that the Lord will make me as nothing. And he said, oh, why should I pray that? He said, well, just wherever I go, I get this fantastic response and it just seems to me that there's so many good things happening through me at the moment. Just please pray that I will be as nothing. And the old evangelist smiled and said to himself, son, I don't need to pray. He said, you just take it by faith. You are nothing. I said to the folk yesterday at the teaching weekend on Friday morning, Chris took me fishing at Kawara Beach, Kawara Beach and I caught a blue thread fin salmon. Yes, we ate it for tea last night. It was good. But the first thing that happened in my mind as that salmon hooked him, it was his, his doing, not mine. The Lord put him on the hook. The first thing that came through my mind was, oh, what have I done to do this? What have I done right? You know, as though you earn it. Or Chris didn't get a salmon. He asked the same question. (laughs) So here, to quote Luther, he's saying, every Christian needs broad shoulders and husky bones. Broad shoulders and husky bones. That is, to bear one another's burdens as well as our own. And here the language of slavery is just under the surface because the slaves bore the burden of carrying for the master but they also had to bear the burden of providing for their own families. So Paul is not contradicting himself here when he says bear one another's burdens and thus fulfil the law of Christ and each man must bear his own load. He's just saying, no, this is the way it is in a hospitable kingdom. Let's put it this way. Someone here invites you for dinner after the service or tonight. You go there and they don't do anything for you. You have to get your own lunch clean up after yourself, wash the dishes and then when you go you have to close the door and don't disturb them because they haven't asleep. Do you think they have treated you hospitably? No. The gracious face of hospitality means that that person has carried the burden of preparing something for you. 
And when you get up to do the dishes afterwards, they will often say, no, 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 please, leave it. Well, sometimes they say that. Can you see that in that provision of hospitality, work has been done, but you have not done it. That is the Gospel. This hospitable place of Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, rich and poor, Scythian, Parthian, no matter what the skin colour or racial background, work has been done, but you didn't do it. And now in this place, you participate in the work that has been done. The man who uh, preached at our wedding when Kirsten and I got married um, nearly six years ago now, can you believe it, told me or told us at that point a fantastic but true story. He was uh, visiting a place in the far west coast of South Australia out beyond Wyala, near Lock and Kimber and Woodener and those places. Do you know any of those out there? That sort of, yeah, a few of you know that place. Great country, isn't it? And there was a man he met with a dog. He said, a oh, fantastic dog. Just wouldn't leave his side. And he said, do you want me to tell you the story of the dog? He said, yeah. He said, I was driving along in my ute going to visit the sheep in the back paddock and I saw this dog sort of in the side of the road amongst the scrub, scrabbling along. I didn't know what was wrong, didn't look well, so I pulled the ute over. The dog was sort of half running off but couldn't run and when he got close to the dog, he saw it had a rope tied around its neck and the rope had sort of cut in and grown into its skin and its fur. And this dog had obviously either been abandoned or got out and it was trailing a little bit of this rope behind it. That's why it was getting tangled in the bushes and it couldn't move freely. And it was thin and starving. And the bloke got his knife out and the dog almost took his hand off because it was frightened but he persisted and eventually the dog calmed down enough and he could start bit by bit to cut the rope. But in a couple of places it was so overgrown he actually had to cut through the skin and he had to keep calming the dog down saying, it's okay, I'm not here to kill you, I'm not here to do you harm, I'm here to help you. kept calming it down and calming it down And after about half an hour working on this thing, he got the rope off and the dog sat up and he opened the passenger side of the ute door and tapped the seat and the dog jumped up and he said, he's never left my side. Not from that moment has he ever left my side. He's the best dog I've ever had. That's grace. That's the power of the Gospel. That's what Christ has done for you. And he's had to cut into your flesh to do it. And it's hurt. 
and you've become narky and you've become bitey and you've devoured one another and you've barked at one another. But that's what Christ has done. Why? So that you'd never leave his side. So where do you meet him now? Well, we know as good Lutherans we meet him here in the Holy Communion, we meet him here in the preaching of the word but you also meet him here and here face to face because you are members one of another, you can finish it and all together members of Christ. So, beloved, heed heed the word of the Lord today. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfil the law of Christ. Enter into that hospitable place and don't get tired of it because you will reap a great harvest in the Lord's name. Amen. The Lord be with you.